Welcome to the My Opinion Podcast, the leadership podcast for women. This is a show that focuses on leadership, life, and love to empower women around the world to be the leader of their life. The My Opinion Podcast is a weekly show with Maya's Motivation Monday, focusing on leadership topics for women that feature guest interviews as well as solo episodes with Maya. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the My Opinion Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now, in her opinion, here's your host, Maya Roffler. Welcome back to Motivation Monday on My Opinion. Today, I have a really special guest to me on the show, Kristen Slink. She is the CEO of Tech AF. I met her at a recent event here in Atlanta, so of course, near and dear to my heart. Kristen, welcome to My Opinion. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talking to you today. I'm so excited to have you here too. And it's awesome when two Atlanta ladies can connect and talk about all things business. But I want to dive in right away and start talking about your story. You have a really fascinating story and how you got to be the CEO of Tech AF. So let's kind of start at the beginning, Kristen. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So my story does not start with me running around with a radio flyer in my neighborhood selling things. And that started my entrepreneurship. I never knew what the word entrepreneur meant. I never had anyone who looked like me in my life that had started a business or branched out on their own. And so I come from very humble beginnings in rural Connecticut. So a lot of cows, farm fields, you know, that sort of thing. I grew up on the other side of the tracks um, where a lot of my classmates came from, you know, very wealthy backgrounds parents that worked in the city, that sort of thing. And so that always gave me this, I don't know what to call it, like this drive to become something someday or make something of myself. I just always had that drive. So the first thing that I did to make that happen is I chose to go to an out-of-state school as far as my parents would let me. And at that time, the furthest was New Hampshire. So up in the North, And my parents were basically like, hey, if you don't want to go to a state school and you're going to go to a more expensive one, you're going to have to fund most of that on your own. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So this is a time where, you know, student loans, that's why we have a student loan crisis that started kind of in my era where they would give these private student loans to students 18. I had great credit because I had a credit card, paid it off. Even though no one ever taught me how to do that, it just was something that had happened. And so I got all these private student loans, went through college, was a psychology major, dabbled a little bit in early education, never really saw myself doing that moving forward, but did see myself moving out of the Northeast. And in my college career, I'd gone out to San Diego, California. It was gorgeous. That was my jam. I wanted to be there. And so junior year, I kept telling everyone I was moving there. It was manifesting. That was before I even knew what manifesting was. I had photos of my trip in San Diego, literally on the ceiling, looking up at it every night. And so I felt if I talked it, I would do it. And so fast forward, graduate, knew I didn't want to do psychology or education. I had a couple of internships that really helped me decide that. And all I knew is I wanted to go to California. So I convinced a friend to go with me. We got a one-way ticket, a rental car, and brought suitcases. We literally had nowhere to live. 
Our first stay was in a hotel room right on the beach. It was just a wild experience. And the reason I say that is because with a rental car, we got a rental car from Enterprise Rent-A-Car and I, I literally got sold a job and oh ended gosh. up working there. Yeah. So I had mentioned I had never seen anyone like me in business, but I always kind of had this idea that it would be really fun. Like business sounds really cool. Like being a cool businesswoman, like mm-hmm. other than it seeming cool, that was the only motivation I had. And so part of enterprise is, hey, we teach you how to build a company. We teach you how the finances work, how a PL, you know, how that operates, what that looks like. I didn't even know what any of that was. I just, they sold me on learning business. Everyone's young and we're really fun in San Diego. I actually have really good friends that are still my friends from those enterprise days. But yes, so once you're there for a year, they tell you about some of the other business entities still privately owned. I really have a lot of respect for the organization. I ended up getting word of a smaller division up in Orange County where they were kind of starting something brand new. And what it was doing was essentially arranging ride share for corporations before Lyft, before Uber, that sort of thing. So I would go into large corporations in Southern California where people had to live far because it's so expensive. And I'd convince them to ride share together. We'd get government subsidies. I'd talk them into it, facilitate the whole thing. And this was a role that I essentially created for myself. And so this was my first taste at building something from scratch. And when I look back at it now, it's very clear to me that was the beginning of me dabbling in entrepreneurship. But at the time, I had no idea where that would go. What it did teach me is that I tend to run into glass ceilings. And so in working in a small division, I convinced them, I miss San Diego a lot. So I convinced them to let me open up an office in San Diego. And I was able to grow a team. And I was managing it essentially, but they wouldn't pay me or call me a manager. So my employee and I quit on the same day and I cashed out my 401k and went into entrepreneurship. Now, caveat, I had been working on a couple of side hustles through the end of enterprise. So what I had realized is I am not happy. I can't go any further. I'm hitting a glass ceiling. I need to do something different. And so for a period of, I I don't even know how long it was, maybe six to 12 months, I was dabbling in some side hustles. I was out representing this brand that was trying to compete with Groupon, where I'd go into businesses and try to get like coupons for their business and stuff going. And in that, I went into the wonderful world of fintech or consumer finance. So I usually like very high level talk about this industry because it can go really in depth, but essentially consumer finance is getting a loan when you're buying something that costs enough money where you want monthly payments for it. So now this industry is called buy now, pay later. This is all online lending. This is, I'm talking early, early, like 2010 early. And so in this model, what we did is we essentially acted as brokers we would go and work with salespeople to go and sell this financing to organizations and we generate loans for these lenders. And so that model ended up proving to be the one that stuck. And so that's the one that I cashed out. Basically, my 401k got rid of my corporate car and went all into it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, that's really kind of where my true entrepreneurial journey goes from. Hey, everyone, it's Maya. 
the host of the My Opinion Podcast, the leadership podcast for women. I hope you're enjoying this incredible episode of the podcast. Now you can learn more about leadership and how to be the leader of your life. You can click on the show notes right now and download your guide on how to be the leader of your life written by me, Maya Roffler. We'll go over the four pillars of how to be the leader of your life. We'll review your values, your mission, not only your purpose, but your purposes and your vision. So download the guide right now and enjoy the rest of this podcast episode. So we went from brokering to partnering with two doctors in Utah to build a loan platform. The doctors ended up not wanting to pursue that business. So my partner and I broke off from that organization, started up a new company. So rather than working with all those those brokers, we became the brokerage ourselves. And so we created, you know, people who went out and sold it. We managed all of the businesses. We managed the relationship with the lender. And really, it became a, a consult, consultation approach. In this, I realized that there was a really big problem. So one thing I didn't mention about my personal story in those private student loans is through my work with Enterprise, I got into really bad debt. So graduating college, this is, two, I don't want to age myself, but I graduated college in 2007. Boom, the market crashes, right? And yeah. so I wasn't getting paid a lot. I was living in San Diego, living off credit cards. And my student loans, because they were private, I didn't have a lot of the fancy different payback options as you do with federal student loans. And essentially, when I called in and I couldn't make payments, the person told me that even if I paid partial payments, I'd still go into default. So I defaulted on my loans, almost had a clean bankruptcy, and got myself into this credit program. By the time I cashed out my 401k, I'd gotten myself out of debt. So that also enabled me to kind of move forward. But I say that because I have this really strong adverse reaction to predatory loans because I knew nothing about finance. I was never taught that. I didn't know anything about credit. And all of a sudden they ballooned. Here I was, went into default, what, 2023, 20, going to be bankrupt. I was saying, oh, seven years isn't that bad. I'll be 30. Right. So (laughs) I'm glad that I didn't go that route. Yeah. But it taught me that, wow, you know, predatory lending is the thing. So when I was consulting with these businesses going in, I would see that these businesses were offering predatory loans to their consumers without even knowing it. Wow. And some of these interest programs were 181% interest. One was, I think, 191. So, and in those models, I mean, they're just as bad as payday lending, but they're called lease to own. And so you don't even own the product. So you're essentially leasing a couch at 181% interest. If you don't pay it off within 90 days and you're not making your payments, they'll like say they'll come get the couch from you. It's just wild. That's wild. Yeah, that's crazy. So that is the problem I ultimately solved with my venture-backed startup. So I love that. Yeah. So I love I it because it was inspired from your experience too. Yeah. So I love that. And it ties back to your experience. And you know what? I think a lot of people listening can relate to this because I feel like, especially if you're coming out of it during our time, because I graduated like right after you, <laughs> so like from college. So 
that was a horrible time to graduate from college, like horrible time. 100%. And yeah, we were definitely preyed on with those student loans and it happens today too. Mm -hmm. But you know, you're, you're just not taught about financial stuff. Like you really have to seek that out and seek resources. I feel like there's more out there now, but in, in our time when that was going on, yeah, no. So I think this is a really, just even this part of your story, Kristen, I think is huge. And yeah, to file bankruptcy would have been been tough. Yeah. But your story is very inspirational because you were like, okay, no, I'm going to get really serious. I'm just going to do the 401k and buckle down. But I think it's really cool that you went into something that personally affected you as well. So, yeah. okay. So you were on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was on the journey. And so we recognized that there are all these different financing programs. The, the businesses didn't know how to offer it and there could be a better way. This is also when lending wasn't 100% online. And so a lot of these lending platforms, the business would have to print out the docs, get a signature, scan them, send them back. So not only are the loans predatory, but all the systems to get the loans done were super, super inefficient. I like to call myself the efficiency queen. So that drove me nuts. From that point, we had a couple of lending relationships fall through. So we had some strategic partnerships where we were utilizing their lending platform to make the process a little bit better. But at the end of the day, we never owned that technology. And so once a couple of those relationships went south, which I usually tell with a glass of wine, we decided, hey, it would be really cool to raise our own money and build this ourselves. And so literally sat around our tiny little conference table and started typing, how do you raise money? What are investors? And then learning about what a pitch deck is and being like, how is a pitch? Like, what is a pitch deck? Looking up Guy Kawasaki, you know, and be like, what is this? How do you, how do you take your idea and, 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 and really articulate it that way? So in the end of the day, we pitched to one group of angel investors they wrote us a $400,000 check and essentially acquired that consulting business. Yeah, They gave us a living stipend for the next month to be able to pay rent because I literally had, I think, $4 in my bank account. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is going to be do or die. Mm -hmm. The investors knew that mm -hmm. as well. So I, while I am very happy mm -hmm. and grateful that these investors had invested us at an early stage, we were definitely taken advantage of, of first-time founders yeah. not knowing what we were doing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's a celebration. I'm like, woohoo. But also you had a lot to learn. This is yeah. just the beginning. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. is just the, this is just the tip. This is just the tip of my experience of being a tech founder as a woman, as a, in a co-founder relationship, being the woman, I had a white male who was doing this with me. I was told early on two founders couldn't be on the board. So I wasn't on the board. So oh, talk wow. about having a seat of the seat at the table, but actually not having that seat and having to trust that in those close those closed conversations that my best interest and the best interest of the business I was building was taken care of and that I could trust what was repeated back to me. Right. So it was it was an experience all in itself. Through that experience, it was about four years. We had about 25 employees. We raised 55 million total. So the original idea was become a platform or some technology solution that integrated all these different lend lending options. Do one credit pull, identify the best lending option for that person's credit, 
make it a seamless experience for the business owner, get it done, get it funded, boom, they're out the door. What we realize is that even working with predatory lo- loans and some consumer or community banks, there was a big gap in the middle too, as far as lending that was applicable for credit scores between 600 and about 720, 750. And so we became a lender in that process. So essentially, if you think about it, I built a bank early, early on. So yeah, that was, that was a crazy experience through that. There was a lot of ups and downs. We were pretty much bootstrapping the whole way. So if anyone's not like familiar with that term, it's really having no money, making like stretching your dollar as much as you can, being scrappy, being creative, but it taught a lot. So what happened is we not only raised from angels, we also raised from VC funds. But this time, the VC funds weren't as familiar with models like ours, where you are not only a software platform, but you're also a lender. You're not only managing the money to grow your business, but you're you're managing the money you're lending out. And so what happened is we grew too fast. We ended up giving out more loans than we had money reserved in. So very quickly, we, at the same time of getting one of our our top brand clients, which was Invisalign, and getting that relationship ready to go, we were worried that we were not going to have enough lending capital to be able to supply that demand. Yeah, that's a huge client. Huge client. Yeah. 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 So we're all excited about that, but at the same time, super stressed Mm -hmm. and you don't tell your team everything. So as far as transparency, we were a very transparent company, but you don't share everything. So as a founder, you're typically holding that in and you can't share that to scare everyone because they're trusting you to be able to pay their bills. Totally. You know, so it was a really stressful period. But it proved to be a big game changer. Mm-hmm. So we started talking to other lenders, telling them how we can give them loans and how our business model worked. And one of those lenders in those conversations said, we're really well-funded and we would like to acquire your technology. So that was that was a really big part of my journey mm-hmm. of the acquisition of my company. Because of all those mistakes that I made, the journey was extremely personal. For me, as a female founder, I had to fight my way through everything and really didn't feel 100% trust all the time Mm -hmm. and felt alone. And in selling that company, it feels good because you see startups in the news, you see them being acquired oh my gosh, they're so successful. But the process in itself is brutal. It's brutal because when you sell your company, it's no longer yours and you no longer have control over your culture, who you're hiring, what your strategies are, how you're doing things, you know, how you're communicating with your overall team. And so really taking a step back and recognizing that I lost myself completely. Mm-hmm. So the company that bought us is located here in Georgia. Which, Which is, is how you got here. Yes. I'm here in Atlanta. <laughs> yes. So that was in 2018, the start of 2018. They acquired us. I worked with them for a total of 10 months. Halfway through, I ended up moving out to Atlanta with my husband, selling everything in California, buying a 31-foot RV. Anything that didn't fit didn't come. We came out here and yeah, and even working in the office, I was one of three team members that came from the California office to wow. work in Georgia. Let's just say no one really lasted. <laughs> wow. But this 
I'm so glad you're talking about this, Kristen. And this is why I wanted you to come on and share your story in addition to the fact that we just hit it off too. But I think this is such an important story because you're right. We see this on LinkedIn, the news, you name it, right? Oh, we sold for a billion. We sold for 500 million, fill in the blank, right? 10 million, whatever is considered success for you, right? But we don't hear... It's like Cinderella, right? We don't hear after, you know, she goes off with the prince or, you know, we do, you know, whatever, Disney, fill in the blank there too. We don't hear the story after. And you're really filling in that story after for my audience. And I think that's really important because everyone wants to sell their company. Everyone wants to sell, sell, sell. And that's the goal. And yeah, that's great. But what happens afterwards? And is that really right for you? Because listen to your story and what happened and, you know, you've got more to your story and, you know, you're doing great things now, but it might not be right for you because you need to know that these things happen. So I love that you're really diving in and sharing this. So you were in this office and you guys were like, this is not the vibe. This is not what was going on before. And so you guys all moved on. It sounds like. Yep, exactly. It was just a, a completely different company the I don't actually talk about this a lot, but the the straw that broke the camel's back is that there is a management offsite, and I was the only one not invited. Really? Oh, we're getting like VIP information here today. Yeah. Guys. So, so wow. That, but see, that's the other part that I love you're talking about because it's culture, right? I loved that you mentioned that earlier because. When you have control of the culture, it feels like it's your own, you know, it's your baby, whether it becomes a big baby and it's a grown up now, it doesn't matter. You have somewhat of a, of a control and an, a huge influence over your culture because it's yours. But once you sell, like you're not even being invited to an offsite management. I mean, what a 180, that is huge, a huge change. And it's out of your control. Yep. And a lot of times we hear, especially women or minorities speak about these kind of situations where you're absolutely shocked, but it happens all the time. Yep. All the time, but people don't talk about it and it's not shared. And so I have made it my mission to be that voice, to tell founders and entrepreneurs that the reality of selling your company is you become an employee of the company that sells you. It's very rare that you sell your company and you're not part of that equation. They don't want to buy your technology because at the end of the day, it's about the team and execution that also got there. So if you're buying, if you're a company and you're acquiring something and it's a piece of software, you better acquire the team that also made that successful, right? And so that's a big part of the equation, but it's not talked about. And I speak to a lot of founders who have gone through exits. A lot of us have the same opinions about how we would do it again, what we would do differently, how we would raise money or what we would focus on right away. Yeah. And so I try to educate specifically women and minorities about what that landscape looks like and what things are and what their options are because it's not one size fits all and no one can give you an 100% blueprint of what exactly the journey is going to look like, but you need to know your options and that's key. Yeah. And I love that you're sharing this and you're being so open about it because you're so right. I mean, women and minorities, like this is, it's a huge issue, huge issue. And we're not talking about it enough. And not to say it doesn't happen to men, but I mean, it, it's talked about more. It's talked about more. We don't talk about it with, and that's why we have this podcast. So 100%. So you moved on. You decided, when did you decide to move on finally, Kristen? It was 10 months after the acquisition. Okay. So it was October, 2019. No, 2018, (laughs) October, 2018, I took a sabbatical. 
So I gave myself, I actually had a 12-month non-compete. So I couldn't be back in fintech lending, that sort of thing for a whole year. And I allowed myself to take a sabbatical. Now, what I did is gave myself six months to figure out how I was going to make money. And it was it was great at first. My husband and I went on a lot of RV trips and explored the South, which was fabulous. And I got bored. And so what I started doing was playing on Instagram with our traveling and created a travel blog and didn't really enjoy that fully, but it was fun learning some new skills. I taught myself how to sew. I did a lot of crafts and traveled and saw some family. It was really great. And for that six months, I found out how I was going to make money. And it was because I started networking again. So as I was building my company, I talked about how it was really lonely for me, especially as a woman. Towards the end, by the time we were getting acquired, I had assimilated myself into the San Diego startup scene. And so I recognized the power of people around you that are going through the same thing or have been through it before. And so taking that feeling and that experience with me, I said, Atlanta has got to have some kind of scene as well. And boy, I didn't even know what I was getting into. Let's just say that. (laughs) I love this community so much. So I basically started networking. I went to this Wonder Woman dinner with this woman who comes in from New York and hosts them in various cities. And I met this woman named Christy Brown, who is pretty well known in our community as an angel investor and a big supporter of women and minorities in tech, right? And so she told me about this incubator And she said, you should go be an entrepreneur in residence and just give back. And I said, that is exactly what I want to do. And so I went there thinking that I was signing up for a mentor opportunity. And I actually found out that entrepreneur in residence was an actual role within the organization. It was paid and it was part-time. So here I was six months into my sabbatical with an opportunity to give back, make money, and only work half the time. So I jumped right on board. That's a, that's like win, 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 done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. it was like, yeah. again, and I, okay, so I'm a little woo-woo, but I swear I manifested it. Like it just, I believe things that just happen. Things just like, it's, it's, I recognize that there needs to be a change. I think about how, what it could look like, and then it ends up working out in some way, not always to match the vision, but I look back at everything and I'm like, oh yeah, this makes total sense why I'm here right now. Well, I, I agree with you completely, Kristen. And like, even back to your story about your pictures of <laughs> going to San Diego, I think it's My important. Bureau. Yes, I love that. But I think it's, and it's all the way up to, we're almost coming up to, you know, present day. And I think it's really important, you know, for my listeners and you know just everyone in general to know this is my opinion. I'd love for you to dive into this just a little bit and then we'll continue on with your journey. But I think, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know I'm going to live in this specific house and exactly where it is and like this little box. But I think you do have to have clarity. Clarity and vision are important because if you don't have clarity and vision, you, you're just going to be tossed around, right? Life is just going to take, life's going to take you for a ride is what <laughs> I like to say. That's my opinion on it. I think it's really important. You don't have to have it all figured out. That's my other opinion too, because you'll look back just like you said, and I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, we were just chatting before I hit record and I was telling Kristen my story, guys. So, you know, it, it all makes sense now why I did this and I did that. But 
I've always had vision where I wanted to go. I know I wanted to work for myself at one point. I knew I wanted to do real estate and this, like the different things I'm involved in, I knew, but I didn't have all the nuances, little details figured out. So what's your opinion on that? It seems like we're pretty aligned on that, but I think you have to have some clarity and vision though, because you have to have direction. Very aligned. I think it's important not to think you need to have it all figured out because it's likely not going to end up the way that you're visioning it that way, right? If you have all of the details lined up, you're going to make those details happen, whether or not that's the best move for you, right? Think about it. If you're all, if you're an 18 year old and you say, I'm getting married by 22, what are you doing? You're dating and you're finding a guy who's going to marry you by 22, right? If you say, Hey, I want to get married someday, but I don't know when it's going to be. You open yourself up. You're not putting so much pressure on it, right? So I think it's important to have goals, but very movable and adjustable goals, right? So when I I plan out my goals, I look at six months, I look at a year, and I look at five years. And those goals are as big as like one of my five-year goals is to live internationally in a Spanish-speaking country for at least six months so I can finally learn Spanish. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's a good one. I love that. Yeah. And then in my my short-term goal is to buy property and my husband and I are looking at property. So, you know, like we have thought about that. It was in my vision. And because it's kind of in the back of my mind, it becomes part of our conversation or part of our you know, thinking about the future and, and, you know, thinking about what our life could look like. And so pour in half goals, pour into, you know, understand what drives you and makes you happy. And then keeping those expectations really loose because you don't want to get disappointed if it doesn't work out the way it is that you think it's going to work. Cause it's usually probably not. Yeah. And, and most of the time it's better than you even imagined. So much better. Yeah, yeah. So don't put that box around it. I, no. love it. I love your opinion on that. I love it. If you ask me five years, if I'd be living in Atlanta and loving it, I'd be, I'd be laughing at you. Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be in Southern California for the rest of my life. And it still has my heart. Yeah. I still have family out there. I would love to own property out there, but will that be my stable, stable home? I think Atlanta's going to be my stable home. Yay. We get yeah. to meet you, Kristen. I love yeah. it. Love it. I know. So see again, exhibit a there. That's wonderful. Yeah. I just, I really wanted you to expand on that. Cause I think it's just such wise advice to hear from someone that's, you know, further along in the process or has had great success in, in different areas. So catch us up to speed. How did tech AF happen? And you launched this November, 2019, correct? Is the official time? Is the official, is the official, Official time. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's because it's, it's an ongoing business. I would say with that date, with that date, that's when I started consulting as well. In addition to working at the incubator. So talk about manifestation. I'm here. I am working at at ATDC, which is for those who are not local to Atlanta, which I know you have a wide audience. It is an incubator out of Georgia tech. It's state funded and it really serves entrepreneurs anywhere from idea all the way up to scaling, but portfolio companies are focused on organizations that have product customers and revenue plus. So that's kind of an outline. I was getting to the point where we wanted to buy our first house. That's a big motivation why we came to Atlanta. San Diego was getting really expensive. We only wanted to live by the beach cities. So not going not gonna to make a lot of money there right away. So We started looking at houses and talking with loan brokers and none of my income could count 
because I had an earnout that I, w- I had with the acquiring company. I had a part-time salary with Georgia Tech and they were just like, we don't count any of this. So my first thought is, oh my gosh, I need to start another fintech to be able to solve this problem in mortgage. And in the meantime, I'm like, well, I need to get a full-time job. So how do I get this to happen? Oh, I already work at Georgia Tech. Let's see what's available full-time. So literally manifested it, started asking around, went up to the man who was running the fintech vertical at the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking to go full-time. He's like, well, you should take my job. I'm leaving. And I was like, what? No way. Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. So I threw my hat in the ring. I said, I'm best to run the fintech vertical. I'm essentially doing the job now. The companies already know me. Yeah. Make me full-time. So it was a very long process. Uh, Georgia Tech has its its whole process. So they do. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yeah. So I would put my hat in, let's say it was like November of 2019, right after I got married, I got married in October of 19. Oh my God. We did too. Stop Stop it. it. What's the date? 18th. The 18th. I got married the 19th. That's so crazy. 10, 19, 19. Where'd you get married? The courthouse. We were very like traditional. Yeah. Yeah. So I got married at the courthouse on the 17th. And it's then so we got crazy. married in Mexico on the 19th. So we got married twice. <laughs> we, got a, we got engaged in Mexico. This is too oh crazy. You guys get to hear all this. This is oh not planned. Yes. This is not planned this or ever planned. discovered before. I love it. That's yeah. So, cool. so threw my hat in the ring, November, didn't end up coming into the position until March, 2020. Wow. So all of a sudden I'm in this position and the whole world shuts down. At the same time, we were closing on a house. And so it was like, am I going to have a job? Are they going to finish my mortgage? Can we move into this house? And let me add, not only did we just buy a house, but it was completely like we couldn't even move in. It was so bad. We needed to renovate it. Oh, yikes. Which we did ourselves over 2020, which is another yeah. um, sidebar on in itself. So That's another podcast. That's a renovation yeah, podcast, I'm sure. Wow. Yeah. So so yeah, went to went full-time at the incubator March 2020. Really loved being online and bringing people together and got super into this ecosystem and just loved every bit of it. It was supposed to only be a year of me being there. That's what I promised my supervisor. I was like, I'll be here for a year. And she's like, perfect. And it ended up being three and a half, three and a half years because, you know, the idea about helping the mortgage industry 2020 happened and that was like pushed aside hundred percent. And now I'm like, I don't think I can ever solve that problem. <laughs> Someone can, but it's not going to be me. Yeah. And I just knew that there was something else for me. And in the meantime, I was so happy working with founders, learning about their stories. And in that experience, I came to where I am now. It was just in, in, being that. So at the incubator running a vertical, you, I never realized this is what was happening to me, but I became a gatekeeper. I was the gatekeeper to all early stage startups in FinTech in Atlanta. Ooh, that's awesome. Because who am I talking to? Programs and investors and founders and all these people who are interested in entrepreneurship. And I'm in a state funded program. So I'm talking to everyone and anyone because that's my job. I'm the person to talk to. And so what the problem I solve today with Tech AF that I solve and that I recognize in being that gatekeeper is that not only is it a gap for founders to go from an idea to the point they can get into programs like ATTC or Techstars, you know, that sort of thing, but especially if you're non-technical. And so me as a non-technical founder, no background in business, no background in tech, built a company, 
learned how to do it, you know, figured it out on my own, I was like, I have the solution. I have the solution for non-technical founders, pre-product, pre-revenue on exactly how to get to the point where they can build a product. They don't have to get a technical co-founder. They don't need to be taken advantage of by technical teams. They they can do it. And so my whole thing is anyone can be a founder with the right education, the right tools. And that's where we are today with Tech AF. That's my mission. And I'm sticking with it. I love it. I know. I, so I heard you speak about this at one of so one of my clients' events. Um, Kristen was a speaker, and she was talking so much about um, the non technical side. And I was like, oh my gosh, we got to have her like talk about this on the podcast. This is great because I think, especially a lot of women, right? Which you guys are women listening, most of you. We think, oh, we can't do that, right? I'm not yeah, technical. I'm not. You know, we get in our heads about this stuff. And it's so not true. And hearing you talk about that was so refreshing. And I just appreciate you coming on and sharing that with my audience here as well, because I think it's really inspirational. We need to break down these walls and know that one, we don't need to be taken advantage of. So again, thank you for sharing your story and being so vulnerable about that, because we need to be honest about those things happening. But two, also inspiring by saying you can do this. You know, this is a possibility for you. You don't have to have, you know, your doctorate or, you know, master's in engineering or this or whatever you need to create, you know, if you want to do an app or this or whatever it is, right? So, or create a product. I think we get really bogged down, especially as women, because we think we need to know it all. We think we need to have everything figured out because we're, we're up against it, right? So we think we need to know it all, but it's interesting because I find that male founders are just kind of like, oh, we'll just kind of go all in. And as women, we want it, we want it all figured out. We'll hold ourselves back because we want to have it all. Or we're like, we need to be technical. So when you said that, that was just really refreshing. I was like, okay, we got to talk about this. I'm definitely the minority in speaking like that. I actually just got into a recent big conversation on LinkedIn around non-technical founders. And most of the people saying that non-technical founders need to get a technical co-founder are white men. Like, so it's their, their experience is so much different than a woman or minority founder. And so, yeah, great. Go find a co-founder, go find someone technical, but it's not that easy, Mm -hmm. especially if you're non-technical, don't swing and, and run around into the startup circle. You don't have friends that have started tech businesses and you never see yourself as a tech founder because who do we celebrate? The tech bros. I mean, that's, that's so for so long, the investors hold technical founders on a huge pedestal. And I think it's absolutely absurd. I think the best founders that I've ever worked with are all non-technical. They all come from some sort of personal experience or inefficiency within their own industry come up with an idea how it can be solved using technology and build a product that is successful. And they all had the similar stories in common where they spent a bunch of time and money wasted to try to figure that out on their own. And there's no resources for them. There's no funding available for them. There's not even any champions saying you can do it. And so I got fed up with it. And I said, I'm going to be that voice. I'm going to be that person and I'm the best person to do it. Because if you're hearing from a technical person that you don't need to be technical or a technical person says that they can teach you how to be technical, 
they're technical. So you're not always going to understand it. I'm non-technical. So the way that I describe things, and this isn't me saying it, it's the feedback that I have received. I make it super simple. I give you enough details you understand, but not enough details where you get caught up in, in understanding like the nitty gritty. It's like baseline, understanding what that looks like and being able to own it and be a badass CEO. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, that's I agree. what it's all about. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I'm around, I mean, you know, I'm around a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And I agree. The best ones that I'm around, same thing. They're they're you, Kristen, and they're some of you guys out there listening. And they had a problem that they faced all the time. They spent too much time, too much money, fill in the blank, right? And they come up with a solution. Now, they might not know how to write code for it. They might not know how to actually physically make the part, whatever, fill in the blank there but they have the problem and they have the solution that you can be a founder. Like, I think that's so important that we recognize that and you don't have to be technical. So I'd like I just had a light bulb moment yeah. as you said that. Yeah. So this tech is the only industry where they expect the business that has a technical product to be technical. If you have a textile business, do you expect the founder to be able to sew and put all of the materials together for the product? No. No. Like it's a factory. No. Do you expect someone who, like you you expect these people to be making these products yourself, but everything's made by someone else. You're just putting all the pieces okay. together. Tech is the same way. Tech is just the product. The business is the business. And as long as you know how to approach a business in a very uh, unemotional and consumer and customer focused way, you can figure out what that tech product needs to work or look like. And that's what I stand by. Yeah. I love that light bulb moment. Oh my God. So true because I come from corporate retail. That's my bread and butter background. And do you think, no, no one was sewing the clothes. We got it from overseas. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm like, wait a second. This is the (laughs) only industry in business that everyone expects just because it's a technical product that you need to have someone technical running it. Like that's bogus. Right. Since when do you learn how to run a business when you go to school for engineering? You don't, unless right. you have a minor or major in business, you know? So it's very, <laughs> right. Here, it's really silly right. when you think about it. Right here. We're telling you that that's perfect, Kristen. Yeah. So Kristen, before we close out and I tell people where to find you or you tell them more or less, You've given so much advice in this interview and it's been so much fun. Um, But what's maybe something we didn't touch on or a last piece of advice you'd like to give my incredible listeners about leadership or things that you've learned along the way that you wish you would have known? It's kind of a loaded question, but anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I think pulling from what we talked about today, I think is the art of the pivot. And so throughout my journey at various stages, I realized that either I was unhappy or I wasn't able to reach my goals or move any forward, any anywhere forward. And instead of accepting that as my reality, I first emotionally detached myself, which has taken a lot of years to learn, and then said, what is it that I want? And allowed myself to move in a different direction and make a pivot. So a pivot is a major shift, right? So pivots happen in business, pivots happen in life, pivots happen in relationships. Something can happen that causes you to go a completely different direction. And so my biggest advice is anyone is feeling stagnant. Anyone is feeling unhappy. Anyone is not being treated right at the workplace or in life recognize that and don't be afraid to pivot because it's scary in the moment. It's scary to say, I'm going to forget 
everything that I've known and go a different direction. But girl, like you just, ah, it's so rewarding because like we had said before, the journey is often delivering a result that ends up being better than we could have ever imagined. And so being able to take that risk and make that pivot and be honest with yourself to do it, I think that's my biggest advice. And if you can't do it yourself, find people that are inspiring and uplifting to put yourself around. That will help you do that. Will support you and and push you to that pivot, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I love that advice. No, this is why I love asking this question because no two people have ever answered it the same. And I just love it. And it's just great advice for you guys listening. And, you know, we heard the term pivot come up, you know, time to time, time and time again, you know, during the pandemic. But this is a, a completely different way, I think, of thinking about it. It's really personalizing it to your life. And you're right, Kristen, you pivoted so much in your life. And we'll continue to pivot throughout our life. So great advice. Where can people find you and connect with you? I know you're very active on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Kristen Slink, I'm the only one. Also Instagram. So my handle is at IamTechAF. And then my website is www.iamtechaf.com. And so it's a 16-week program as our flagship product. We walk entrepreneurs through idea to being able to generate a product and being ready to talk to technical teams. They learn uh, personal development, how tech works what the different options are. There's a lot of education, a lot of work, a lot of accountability, community support, and so much more. And I would love to help any of your listeners who are wanting to be a tech founder, have an idea, are have ever thought about that, to feel free to reach out. And I'll provide you with that motivation and a little push and say that you can do this. You got this. Yes, I know you absolutely will. And we'll put all of that in the show notes, the link in there, all of that so you guys can contact Kristen. Kristen, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for the inspiration and thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and thank you guys so much for listening to My Opinion. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you so much for listening to the My Opinion Podcast. You can catch up on past episodes on the My Opinion Podcast website at www.myopinionpodcast.com as well as read the My Opinion blog and contact Maya directly with your questions. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at My Opinion Podcast and Maya Roffler. We'll see you back here next week.